right, guys, welcome back to the Out of Computer Fitness Podcast. Today, I have a repeat guest, uh, Aiden Raider. Uh, it's basically two years ago, right, they last sort of had this sit-down conversation, and this is like before a lot of uh, things changed with uh, your, power, your powerlifting. So uh, I guess like one of the most recent sort of updates with your powerlifting career, both as a good coach and an athlete. Uh, the, the biggest updates since, you know, it's been around two years since I was a uh, you know, young man, uh, I've turned into an old man is basically what's happened. Uh, you know, my, my training has changed drastically. I've gone up weight class. Um, you know, I've taken on greater responsibility outside training, you know, between nursing school and coaching, um, on the, uh, Nori powerlifting. So yeah, a lot has changed, um, since I last been on. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he's becoming a part of uh, Nori, the power thing, I think, is like a really big deal. And as a result, Aiden has gotten a lot of, I guess, he's learned a lot about, you know, troubleshooting lots of things and like not only his own training, but in his athlete um, training. And so that was mainly the reason I wanted, I wanted to ask him to come on because I was listening to a podcast with you did with, um, I think it was Sean and uh, Jaron where you guys were sort of going over like the seminar in Hawaii and uh, talking about, you know, troubleshooting athlete programming. And I really do think that high level powerlifting coaching, that is the essence of it is really knowing how to troubleshoot power um, programming issues or things that athletes are dealing with, because, you know, that's the entire purpose of having a coach is to know like what to do in those situations and make changes as um, needed. And Aiden, uh, in particular, anybody who follows him, which if you don't follow him, you do it, you know, in the show notes below, but he's had, everything is like very sensitive to fatigue. Um, and uh, I think as, and he's had a lot of setbacks with his training and, and whatnot. And really, I like to say that our mess sort of becomes our message with our oh, like, you know, coaching and our philosophy. Like the reason why I started my business was because of like, I, got, I, was, I was anorexic and then powerlifting gave me a lot of confidence. So basically that I lacked sense of self-efficacy and uh, that's why you know I, I coach and so i know i've been rambling on a little bit here i want to give Aiden a chance to sort of remark on anything i said yeah so uh recently we uh as a as a team in nori powerlifting we did a seminar in hawaii at yukio barbell uh jaron yamani's gym he's the state chair of the usapl in hawaii as a coach on nori powerlifting um, and, and, you know, owns Yukio Barbell uh, as well. And so um, we each gave around an hour to two hour lecture uh, on a subject that we're passionate about, as well as uh, doing a practical sumo uh, deadlift uh, demonstration. Um, so my topic was essentially troubleshooting uh, athlete training when, uh, you know, an issue arises, um, and specifically kind of walking through, um, the, the various, uh, you know, interventions you can make as a coach, uh, and identifying, um, you know, what the issue is, identifying what is appropriate for the issue, and then actually how you implement it into, um, uh, an athlete's training. So this could be, you know, all, all the factors, all the you know, just factors that um, are typically discussed with athlete training, you know, volume, frequency, intensity, all that. But I offered also a little bit more nuanced um, things like, um, you know, primer sets, um, 
what has kind of been dubbed as fatigue singles, where you do a rep top set for a single and, and a few other things. Yeah. So um, sort of like going, I guess, a little bit more in depth on like troubleshooting um, athlete programming. Um, what are some main things that sort of you look for with like your athletes communicating number one to you as a coach or what's going on um, in order for you to even know that there's like a change to be said that they really just start off with good, with good communication in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, it's going to come on communication from the athletes end, you know, giving you proper description of what they're feeling. It's also going to come from the coach's end of, you know, asking the right questions. So, um, you know, one of the most basic things is just understanding, uh, you know, most issues are going to get solved either through, uh, you know, at the athlete being fatigued or they're being, or they're getting to be trained. Um, and, you know, a simple way of figuring that out is understanding if they're feeling excessively beat up, if they're doing um, a ton of volume or a ton of uh, too much intensity and they're feeling excessively beat up to perform well, or they are, you know, um, have what is sub, um, you know, what is uh, below the appropriate level of uh, workload for them. And they're feeling very, very fresh um, coming into sessions, not feeling very strong, or the movement is feeling foreign. Those are just a few ways to uh, create a distinction between the two. Um, so that's just one example. Uh, but um, I also kind of went over a little bit of how uh, you, you also need to find, um, you know, what is um, the bottleneck of progress of training as well. Mm -hmm. So, there so might, I guess so beyond, I guess beyond, you know, just simply being overly fatigued or being understimulated, there is also that factor of, you know, what might be limiting progress might be a, a bottleneck outside of those two. Yeah. So basically, you know, like, is it, is it sort of like determining, like, is this like, can we like just boil this down to the training or something outside of the training that's more so the issue, correct? Yeah. So it could either be, it could be stress nutrition. It could be, you know, lack of hypertrophy. It could be poor technique uh, and poor technique might be, you know, the, 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 what is responsible for them getting overly fatigued or, or being, and not being able to handle the workload that they need in order to progress. Essentially um, there's, there's a lot of different things here. And, and essentially what my, presentation went over was how to identify what the issue is and then how to appropriately respond based on that issue. Yeah. So, um, say like, you know, hypothetically, um, you had an athlete presenting to you of feeling like, you know, a, a bench press, um, they always like feel pretty sore in their chest. Um, you know, they feel like their, their technique is like, like pretty on point, you know, they don't really feel detrained, de but usually they, they sort of feel like a little bit, like they're starting to feel a little bit more irritation in their chest. And then, you know, I guess in the context of, you know, say you, they were really progressing well with a certain amount of volume and, and intensity for a certain period, but now they're, they're not, they're starting to feel a little bit more, more beat up in that scenario. Uh, what would you do? Would you maybe try to maintain the volume, but incorporate some more very variation or would you start to lower down the volume? Um, so the first thing, I'll, uh, there's a lot of context that needs to be answered there is like, what is, what does their intensity look like? What, um, you know, what kind of events they are, but I, I'd probably, the first thing I would go to is if they're responding very well to like the, the current workload that they have is to possibly just, uh, limit the, the, some of the secondary days and try and 
get some self-limiting variations in there. Um, if they're just starting to kind of feel a little bit beat up and not necessarily like, you know, that affects their filters are killing them yet, then they might just need a slight reduction in, um, you know, their workload in order to feel fresh again. Yeah, um, exactly. And it might not be uh, appropriate yet to make like a huge intervention if, you know, they're uh, still progressing well. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of that like, like it comes down to with a lot of those athletes from those scenarios, right? You know, they're progressing really well, certain volume and, and, and intensity. Um, usually it's like, you know, the fact that like they didn't deload or they didn't take as much of the volume yeah. reduction as they needed to um, during a deload. So how do you prefer to sort of structure uh, deloads for your, for your athletes and, your, and yourself? Um, you know, it depends on the athlete. It depends on how long I've, I've worked for them. Uh, you know, something that, that I do with my own training, which is uh, pretty regular nowadays, is to do a deload every block. Um, so, so that's something I do because I find that, um, you know, I peak very hard. I peak pretty well on, on the week four of my block. And then, um, I, so I like to, I like to push that week, of course, you know, uh, anywhere from, RP eight to RP ten potentially, um, on squat bench and deadlift. So, um, it's pretty much guaranteed that for my lower body, I'm going to be extremely fatigued. Um, so I I have what is dubbed as a week zero for myself. Uh, but you know, for many athletes, uh, that you or I or anyone listening is going to work with, uh, that's going to be completely unnecessary. Um, and they'll be able to like you know either just start with a pretty, pretty light week, light week one, or, uh, you know, have a, um, deload as, uh, when it's appropriate, mm -hmm. you know, so if, if, if we have like, you know, a pretty, uh, high, there's two cases, I guess, when you have an extremely high performing, um, you know, mesocycle, um, and you, you ends very well very high um and they push themselves very hard and you just want to make sure that you um don't go into the next block with that unnecessary fatigue and be able to build momentum from like um a baseline where they aren't fatigued uh or you know potentially prevent uh you know some sort of injury if they are feeling extremely beat up or um in the case that someone um, is carrying way too too much fatigue during a block that they can't actually perform very well, so they kind of need a, a bit of a reset, if you will. Yeah. So essentially, um, like what I, what I, what I found is like, um, you know, if if you feel like pretty fatigued, like halfway through a block, or like you just weren't able to get any sort of momentum, the way it's always sort of just feel heavy. Because like I think what you said there about like you know like week zero, like a week one is probably going to feel a little bit a little, little bit weaker. Uh, than like a week four because you probably just just peaked out and you just how you know you you peak with that time to peak model of of stimulus to to, to fatigue. Um, if you kind of like feel a little more more beat up halfway through, you probably didn't do enough to volume or in intensity. Um, in the sense for like that specific, specific athletes. Um, like for for myself actually, I found that I kind of need like a week zero too, and then like a week one, week two, week like week three, week four. That's how. I make um, my best progress. And um, in regards to like determining if an athlete is like volume or intensity sensitive, do you think that's actually a thing? Or do you think that it's more so just like dependent on like your programming model? 
could definitely be um that's a good question that's a question that you, you could talk a lot about yeah. uh, and discuss a lot about and you probably get a bunch of different answers based on the coach but um i think that you know have be, doing more volume or doing more intensity can kind of almost like replace each other in a sense you know someone could respond like you know have kind of a similar program but just do like um slightly more intensity but less volume or slightly more volume but at a lower intensity and that can kind of end up being the, the same kind of programming um but you know maybe depending on the coach if, if a certain coach you know is more uh, biases towards a little bit more volume but like lower intensity or if a different coach biases towards high, slightly higher intensity but lower volume um i think i think you'll see that with different coaches and, and different programming styles uh but i think you will also see that different athletes will respond and handle higher intensities and, and need those higher intensity exposures um and perhaps um perhaps still have a high amount of volume you know perhaps they can handle high volume and high intensity uh, and perhaps they need that uh it really depends on on what you find is is needed for the athlete in my opinion um so and that, that can take some time to develop if if um you know what they respond to is kind of outside of your typical programming style well, i guess you're at a really good point about i think like, things that like good coaches should be able to sort of make both training approaches for their athletes um in really like a non-biased way um and that's sort of like is basically a um i guess a shit test of like is your training system actually like adaptable to the athlete because you know it, it's it's tricky to sort of you know answer that question I, I agree with a lot of points that you made there because you know in theory like they could be very similar on paper because of the, you know, the actual stimulus on paper you know lower volume you know with higher intensity because you know there has higher volume with lower intensity you can sort of get the same relative like workload or, or stress essentially it was what you're trying to get is stress on the athlete but i have absolutely found that there's through experience or there's just some people that they just respond better to lower volume and higher intensity and other athletes respond better to higher volume and lower intensity and i've found personally it has a lot to do with psychological um profile of the athlete um and there are some athletes that really like to push hard and they get a lot of a lot of boost from from, from that there are other athletes that would rather do like a little bit less of like you know the, the the strain and more like feel like okay i'm doing like lots of volume and lots of practice i also think that can be molded depending on you know the where the athlete needs to develop their skill of like their, their technique because if somebody is breaking down at higher intensities quite frequently you might actually need to give them more frequent like high intensity exposure for them to actually work on that technique rather than somebody feels a little more foreign with their technique when they come back to the training um but they're always like you know pretty strong you don't really see too much like variance in, like technique from like you know an 80 percent to a 90 plus percent maybe that's when they might need like more volume because they need more more practice just in general yeah i i went over a similar concept in my uh you know my presentation in hawaii um we went over a case study with one of my athletes, his name is Kota Gibson. He's around a, it's like a um, low 600 squatter. Like uh, I think his comp best is 628, best is 635 in the gym. He's a hundred kilo athlete. Um, you know, around, uh, I think he's 21, maybe 22 years old. Uh, just so, so just so info about him. And he's a very efficient squatter. He has very nice squat leverages, very nice squat technique. Um, you know, manages center mass very well, very efficient. Um, 
but the issue that we were having with him was that he detrained on on squat very quickly. Um, so with uh, with any sort of lower set count than what we were doing, um, he was detraining. So um, we we had a prep where I can't remember the exact amount of sets, but basically um, we we did a meet post meet we. We're doing like off more off season uh, off season training, so like a lower set count and some very like a variation because we've been working together for a while at that point. So we were kind of just experimenting. Hey, like what is is something else going to work different or better than what we're currently doing? And also just to you know take a little break away from competition specific work. And we found that like he just like be trained to the absolute ground as soon as he did that. So we increased his set count back up for. Uh, uh, after the off season for for a meat prep that he um, was doing, immediately started like coming back to life with the increased account, increased specificity, um, and uh, got a solid meat. Then post meat, the post meat block after that, which is um, very recent, it was like one block ago. Um, you know, we we basically reran what was going very well um, with the higher uh, specificity. Um, and he's always responded very well to high reps as well. So we had high reps on his secondary day and like like mid to low reps on his primary day. Uh, but we ended up what we ended up finding was that despite running what uh, rerunning what was working very well, he started detraining very very hard again. Uh, so what we simply what I simply introduced, he just felt like he was out of practice with heavy weights come primary day. So I simply just added like um, a paused double onto his secondary day. Um, and within like, uh, I think he started out the block doing like 530 for a triple at RP six. And then by week two and three, I, he is, he does five week box blocks by week three. He was doing that like 530 triple again, but it was at like RP nine, you know, so very hard detraining. Um, and then as soon as we introduced the double, the pause double, just to get, uh, just to get him above, like into like low. 500s on his secondary day just to get an intensity exposure um just to expose him just enough you know just enough to um get that to prime him essentially it's why i call it a primer set um just to get that intensity exposure as soon as that happened uh i think the next week he took like 540 for his triplet you know it was around rp7 and then ended the block uh let me pull it up uh i have it right here Ended the block with a 570 triple at like RPA. So oh. very quick, very quick retraining. And then, um, you know, he's already taken, uh, I think, la let me, I think last block he took like five. I think re recently he's taking like, he's already taking uh, like five mid 500s for his uh, pause single now on his secondary day. So like very quick retraining, very quick progress after just implementing that. Um, so it's it's something that I've I've been implementing with other athletes as well. You know, when I see it necessary or um, kind of if someone responds really well to high reps and they have happen to have it on their secondary day, just kind of giving them a light intensity exposure, just kind of as a uh, way of potentially preventing them from detraining. Uh, from being out of practice with heavy weights, but making it light enough that it's not something that's going to interfere with training at all. Have you found that it becomes a little more necessary, like the stronger a lifter gets? Um, 
I think it just depends on the it's dependent on the person. I, I don't I, I don't think I've found that. Uh well well I may you know I see it a lot on bench mainly just you know for pretty obvious reasons a bench you know yeah. you know being a very technical lift um so you being able to practice high intensity exposures often it is important um but yeah I, I've even you know been doing uh, been giving like um like low intensity R, uh like RP like five to six singles prior to like high rep work on deadlift if they if a lifter happens to have it on their secondary as well just so that they feel primed because uh um and, and I've found that you know lifters come into those sessions feeling much more confident because they at least touch something on their secondary day that was heavy. Yeah. I, I think that in terms of like the intensity exposures, like I can relate to that in a certain sense, because like I on squat in particular, like I tend to lack a lot of confidence with, with heavier weights. And, um, like my, my, I told like my coach, Eric, I was like, Hey, like I might want to experiment with, with this. And we did that going into, um, this, this last meet because like, just for context, like I was getting sick just constantly during winter. I felt like I was, you know, I was getting moments. I was just like, you just get back and like, with the training push that we were doing, like it was working before, but it wasn't working like anymore. Like I felt weaker and weaker and weaker on my primary day. Um, and I basically told him like, Hey, I think if you add like, you know, a pause, like set of like three or something like that, like my, my, my single, you know, like RPE, like three to five, like that light, it was enough to get me within like, the like you know the 450 plus range which is heavy enough for, for me um i noticed that very fast like i started feeling a lot more confident on my primary day um and it wasn't like an issue of like the volume so i am also somebody who unfortunately i responded really well to high reps uh, i always joke around i have like a 60 kilo girl response like <laughs> with my with my training volume um yeah you know in the, in the 90 kilo dude's body but yeah it's one of those things where I have a similar experience with one of my athletes, I think Brandon, where he was, you know, we, we you know, increased his frequency on squat. That wasn't working. He's always still felt detrain on his primary day. Um, and then really I just add in like, you know, a higher set between like three, three to five. And like, he's very quickly like finding that his primary day is starting to feel a lot better. Uh, even, the, even though he is like pretty like fatigued on a secondary day, um, he's, you know, seeing it having pretty big carryover with his, with his confidence and just touching those higher weights. And I know that I did a podcast with Brian Miner about like, you know, why higher intensities are like better for strength in general, because there's like, there's certain morphological adaptations that have to happen. And some people just require more exposure to that, especially on like different lifts. Like I think, I think really on squat and bench, we see it mostly because they're essentially loaded and there's more technical, you have to be, you just have to be more technically proficient on those weights rather than like deadlift. It's just like, as long as your starting position is right, you just pick it up. Yeah, I don't give it on deadlift very often. Um, I, mo I I didn't say at first that I really find a pattern with individuals that, um, you know, need this. Um, I'd say that, you know, you can find it often with efficient lifters, but really anyone can and can end up needing this at some time. Um, I'm not someone who needs it. I find deadlift to be extremely stimulating. So yeah, same. I can't, I don't, I don't really, you know, my secondary day is a three, like a three by eight at like, sometimes mid 400 pounds and i feel fantastic coming into my primary um where you know so, but some athletes just just kind of need that to you know, make them come back alive um and um i agree with i agree with you what you're saying where you know someone um or i had a recent experience where i had a, someone come to me um spotting three times a week and um when i was looking at their training 
Um, I, I just found that like across the board, they were just not training spot. They were squatting three times a week, high volume, but across the board, they weren't training at a very high intensity or very hard. Um, and now we're seeing great success when I brought them back down to two times a week, just basically just training harder. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and then also giving them a primer set on their secondary day, just to really make sure that we're kind of making up for that, like lack of frequency by just going heavier more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think this spot, like for frequency in particular, I think it's a lot less impacting on like, the, on the training response for most people, I find that it was like, there definitely is an independent response of like, for some reason with like frequency on, on bench, where it's like, you can keep the volume the exact same, but like, this goes go to four days a week from inside like three. And like, you will see like a, a big like bump in that. Like that was kind of like what I realized with myself, you know, like I'm not efficient. I can, I might, you know, these, these long arms and I, I don't arch. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's just, it's really interesting because the, 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 the fun about powerlifting programming is that there's really no rules. You just have to pay attention to what is getting the athlete stronger and having these, these guess and check systems. And that's like really like what it comes down to with, with training and like being able to like make changes. Because I've even found like for myself, like changing like like the training week layouts can be super impactful um, for lifters and managing their overall fatigue. Because like, for example, with my deadlift, I used to train it. Uh, basically, I have my secondary squat and then my primary deadlift the day after. And that was working for a good period of, of time. But then I got to the point, especially like my squat got into like the 500s. I was honestly, I was just really beat up in like my back and I was never able to really have a high output on my deadlift. And then we just changed that around having like on Wednesday and I had a higher training effect on that. And I personally think that, you know, it's easy to fall into like the SPD trap of like, oh, like we got to be like really specific, specific and we're always training this under fatigue and whatnot. So we should always train under fatigue and in the gym. But I don't necessarily agree with that because I, in my perspective, it's, we want to get the athlete stronger and be able to have the highest training effect on that lift in the gym. So then that they can get stronger. Um, I don't think it necessarily matters too much in terms of, I guess, training a lift quote unquote, like fatigued um, in terms of managing expectations, because it shouldn't matter that much if you're actually in shape at a meet, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it, it should, if you do things right. And I, I think the hundred percent priority should be, um you know getting what what is going to get them as strongest as fast as possible and, and not really um you know there's certain cases where um timing for competition matters um you know in, in cases of um you know someone who's a very high frequency bencher you know making sure that their uh highest performance is on their uh, on, on the competition day, as well as, um, you know, sometimes, um, like three times a week squatters as well, you know, having their, um, uh, primary squat day on the competition day is very important. You know, if, if uh, you find that their, their other days aren't very high performing. Um, but yeah, um, the way I really go around building the microcycle is a, a few ways. Um, the, the first thing that I consider, oh, uh, this, the, um, the microcycle, building the microcycle is something that I did go over in Hawaii as well, a part of my presentation, um, because, you know, if you don't have that right, then, then pretty much, um, you know, that, that's the, that's the, the origin of everything. That's the source. You're, you're not really, uh, you can't really, can't really make any good informed decisions if your microcycle is the issue, um, 
So the way that I start by building a microcycle is uh, by considering the lifter's schedule. Um, you know, what their life schedule is like, what their work schedule is like, um, you know, the days that they are most open, the days that are the most free. Um, that is the first uh, way that I decide where I'm going to place their primaries, where I'm going to place their, um, you know, the secondaries, where I'm going to place the sessions that are the longest duration, where I'm going to place the sessions that are the shortest duration, right? So if they um, work a manual labor job and they, uh, you know, work during the week, um, you know, maybe I'm going to have their primary squat, let's say, on a Sunday because, you know, let's say that they work throughout the entire week. They're maybe a little bit beat up from work on Saturday. So then now they can now they have Sunday for their primary squat and maybe deadlift. That's just an example. Uh, you know, maybe they're a, they're a student and they're the day they, they schedule out doing most of their homework is or most of their studying right is Thursday. So either I'm going to have that as a rest day or maybe like an hour long bench and upper body session. So that's kind of like the way that I um, initially uh, figure out when their microcycle is going to be, but uh, what their microcycle is going to be. But there's always going to be pretty much there's, there's going to need to be some sort of either um, sacrifices sometimes, sometimes on your busiest day, you are going to have a long session and you're just going to uh, someone's just going to have to schedule it out the right way. Uh, but um you know, it really depends on the person and it, building a microcycle that is optimized around an athlete's training uh, will uh, make it easier on their life, uh, make it easier for them to recover. And it can, it can make them feel like they're able to do the most amount of work in the most efficient manner. Um, and uh, I, I've uh, seen that with my athletes, and I've seen that with myself, especially building my microcycle around my school schedule. It I can get in so much more work, um, you know, com compared to when I didn't think this way. Compared to when I just uh, when I when I just had my program given to me without um, considering uh, my life schedule, um, and then um, the difference that I that was made when I had designed it around my school schedule was massive. It felt like I could get in far more work and it was like I was doing you know it was less of a burden on me yeah. now yeah um a few more the, the the next thing that I consider um when I build a microcycle is if someone uh you know in terms of secondary day and primary day placement is if someone favors being timed or being recovered so if let's say we have two squat days, let's say someone's squatting two times a week, right? Um, do, does their uh, primary performance favor being primed or recovered? Do they favor having two days of rest in between their secondary and their primary or three days of rest between their secondary or primary? Um, so if someone, uh, you know, favors more so being recovered from their secondary session, then you want to place the secondary session further away from the primary. If someone favors um, you know, needing uh, their secondary um, secondary day closer to their primary in order to feel like they are increase their to increase their readiness for the primary session. And it can be a good idea to have their secondary squat exposure closer to their primary. Um, usually, you'll find that more efficient lifters, uh, you know, 
I'd say the, the, the majority of people will favor being uh, more recovered coming into the session, having a longer amount of time from their secondary, uh, longer amount of rest from the secondary to, to a primary, but occasionally with very efficient lifters, you'll find that uh, being practiced and having that exposure close to a primary will lead to higher performances than uh, the other way around. Um, uh, personally, as someone who deals with a ton of fatigue issues, specifically from my squat, it, uh, you know, doing a, performing a low bar squat for myself will absolutely, uh, you know, in close, in close proximity to a uh, squat day, another squat day or uh, a deadlift day will absolutely tank my performance on bulls. So, for example, right now, my primary squat is pretty much as far away from possible as um, my primary deadlift. Um, with my primary squat being on Tuesday, my primary deadlift being on Saturday, and then my secondary squat is as far away from, as, uh, gives me as much rest as possible for my primary squat. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel fatigue. So I, my primary squat is on Tuesday, and my secondary squat is on Thursday. So I only have one day of rest in between, so that I can have the pretty much, you know, a, a long amount of time from Thursday to my next primary to recover. Now, I'm an extreme example. Not many people do that at all. Um, but for example, my athlete, Samuel Friedrich, he's a very efficient squatter. And uh, we found that he had uh, reported a, uh, you know, we've had more consistency and, uh, you know, uh, a greater feeling of readiness when uh, uh, I can't, you know, remember the days he exactly squats off the top of my head. But let's say his, uh, you know, secondary day is on Tuesday, and then he only has, um, you know, the Wednesday and Thursday for rest for it for his primary on Friday, um, you know, and having his secondary closer to his uh, primary rather than further away, uh, which is pretty normal that uh, he's found, we found greater performances that way. So that's something to consider, um, you know, th that, that will pop up uh, most often on bench press. I'd say, you know, sometimes if you're, let's say you have a three times a week venture, if you're, um, you know, your the session before your primary is too far away from your, um, uh, from your primary, then that someone might feel out of practice, or that might be means to go up to four times a week. Depends on. Uh, essentially, you know, uh, if their primary day, uh, if their second, if their the session before their primary day is a little bit too far away from their primary day, then um, you know they might feel out of practice, or they might just be means to increase frequency. It depends on what you uh, deduce the 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 need is there. Um, you know. Um, because I, I do go, I, I did went over, I did, I do go over frequency a bit in my, my meeting, in my uh, presentation there. Um, and then the last thing I really consider is the accessory placement, whether, uh, you know, you know, if, if we're not having a, a, a back, uh, a back day before their primary deadlift, um, you know, if that's something they can handle, if that's something they can't handle, you know, just uh, placing the accessories in a way that minimize interference with um, the lifts, same same as well with um, minimizing interference between squatting and deadlifting. Um, you know, if someone experiences that, some some might not experience interference from their squat to their deadlift. Usually if someone's an efficient squatter, they don't get pitched forward as much, then uh, it won't fatigue them as much for deadlift. So they might be able to have their primary deadlift on the same day they squat, might be able to have it on the same, uh, the day after they squat. Um, and someone like me, they need to have it very far from the day they squat or else they're going to be just absolutely, you know, just feel like they got hit by a truck. Um, so those are all things to consider in terms of, um, you know, placement of whether it's on the same day, whether it's on a, a, a nearby day or whether 
these sessions are very spaced out. I really like the concept of, uh, you know, Avery being like re recovered or like, we're like ready for like the, with the, the, the te technique, because I've definitely found that is, I think that's really like the best way to put it because like, you know, in, in theory, it's like, you know, you want to be able to the best recovery, like 72 hours, like from the last training session to the, you know, your heaviest one is ideal. Uh, but not everybody responds best in that way. And I, I definitely noticed the same thing with like bench press seems to respond a little bit better, like just being like more ready, which is why frequency mm -hmm. is such an independent driver for progress on bench press for most cases. Um, and like, I let you with you on deadlift, like my week out, like my layout is like my heaviest day is Wednesday, then I do Friday, then I do nothing until Wednesday. Um, uh, whereas on squat, it's like, I actually respond better to like higher reps on my squat. I do like Friday, my that's a secondary squat. And then my primary session is on Monday, but then with my accessories, because I don't have as much muscle damage, I don't want to do like leg extensions. It's a shortened position, so there's less, less muscle, there's less muscle damage. Now bias most yeah. of my quad volume on that mon on that Monday. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, just furthest away from your primary. Yeah, because like I don't really feel much. My, I don't really feel my quads. My legs are small <laughs> on deadlift. Yeah, like, and then high high rep doesn't beat you up on squat like uh, doing high rep on Friday doesn't uh, doesn't you're covered by Monday. As long as I'm not pushing the intensity too hard, I'm like really saying it's taking true to the RPE. Um, I'm actually what, what kind of RPE does that stay at? I'm just curious. It's like RPE like five to seven typically. Okay, okay. Um, but what I do is I do like ascending sets up to that RPE. Okay. So it's like one. So is it like a like three hard. by seven at RPE five? Well, it's like a three RP6, by like RP seven. Seven to that's like three by seven to ten is irritates me. Yeah, so something like that. Okay. Um, and I yeah. just I, I respond really well, well to that. I just find that, that interesting because, you know, um, we're both someone who kind of gets a decent amount of fold in our squats. So usually high rep would beat us up, but sometimes it's just literally the opposite. Sometimes, you know, those, you know, we're, we're just athletes. Well, it's always, like it's always interesting because like, I remember I got really sick one day, like back in like September, this stands out on my mind. I really, I still did like my high rep squats. Like I, I did really, really light, like I really went, went heavy on them. And I did like my, and I did my normal, my normal accessories. I came in like on Friday, it was like on a Tuesday that, that, that happened. And like, I was the strongest I had ever been in my yeah. life. And I've like I, really been able to like, like replicate that. I ever. love, uh, I, I love when you just discover things for just randomly like that. Yeah. I just, I just realized like for myself, like I don't really need to go that heavy on my secondary days on squat. In fact, I just respond better if I just keep them kind of like lighter. I pushed my accessories more on that day. And then like, I feel like really strong on my primary day because I get mostly like my back fatigue. Like on my last meet, like I told Eric, I was like, bro, like my back was just not recovered like in time. Like I need a longer taper. And then like two weeks later, I felt like the strongest I, I really ever have have on, on squat. And so it's always interesting how leverages impact the, uh, the, the equation, like where you feel your fatigue, because I found the axial fatigue is tends to be the hardest thing to manage with the interference between like squat and deadlift, and uh, I actually used to have my uh, my secondary squat on Monday, and then I had my primary squat on Friday. But since I switched to, 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 to like to conventional, like my back feels absolutely just, like destroyed on that Friday okay. session. Like, that's why I actually changed it. I see. That makes sense. Yeah. So like you know, changing stances is a is a big thing um, too. That also does impact things. Like I do also do like a high bar squat. I think that's why I get like a little bit like less fatigue. Then maybe okay, yeah. potentially um like i just my shoulders just don't tolerate that position whereas like with bench press it's like 
the more volume I do, seemingly, like as long as I'm not pushing that intensity towards, I am very sensitive to intensity in general. So let's I just found that I have like one heavy set per per week, and then I'm just done. Um, and I just respond best to like more higher up volume going into um, like the rest of the rest of the week in general. Unconventional, you said you're it. Right. Uh, conventionally, I, I, he Eric likes giving a lot of volume. I did like the top set before, like a three by six, like after like like on my primary conventional day, I ended like a three by eight on sumo on my secondary day. That's just kind of how I trained for a long time. What was the reason you switched from sumo to conventional? Um, because I felt like I was always doing a wide stance conventional deadlift. And I had a realization yeah. when like I moved like my basically my heart my starting hit position on sumo from conventional was the literally the, the exact same <laughs> in terms of height. I was yeah. like, I'm not getting any I mean, numbers advantage. Your conventional looks great. So yeah, it feels strong. Like I literally like, and that's one thing that like really, one thing too, I think is important is like these be like really open to like changing technique instruments with like different things, especially as you get bigger and as you get stronger. Um, like your leverages are going to like change what feels good, like might change. Like I was like ever since I started like conventional, it's like yeah, it's like six seventeen for four. Like my PR set of four was like an RPE eight was like a five five eighty four, like two months hmm. ago. And so like that just really just spurred a lot of progress. And like right now we're just doing sumo on my secondary days. So I'm just like all right, it's fun, but like going hmm. into my going in, like into prep, like I definitely feel much better doing like my dog is stronger if I'm just training conventional like twice a week. Like I don't do any variations. You know what's interesting? Um, I have two um, conventional deadlifters, two of my conventional deadlifters uh, doing sumo on the secondary days. And uh, for a very long time, uh, they've been doing that and they've progressed better than if, um, well, it originally says, and there's a lot to talk about here, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've had two conventional deadlifters um, that, you know, have sumo on their secondary days. And um, one of them right now, uh, I'm trying out, um, you know, doing 2X conventional. It's going pretty well. He's getting more practiced and he's recovering from it. Um, but for a long time, he he couldn't and he would respond a lot better to having sumo on the secondary day. Uh, but um, second, Joe Butterfield, who is a very strong conventional puller, um, you know, a 90 kg, he's deadlifted uh, 705 conventional. Um, and anytime, uh, you know, we started together, it's been a long time now, maybe like a year and a half or so, um, started um, with maybe like a 580 1RM unconventional. So um, we've done, yeah, we've done great things together. Um, and, yeah, I was going to have you uh, share this story, like something like, is that a 10-pound PR? Is that a 10-pound PR? It's, it's, it's been, been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he's like a Minnesotan uh, guy. I, I like working with him. He's probably my most neurotic athlete by a very far margin. So sometimes he's extremely frustrating to work with. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, um, least that's my least favorite athlete trait. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty much any anything that like if the boat gets rocked in, if, like if, if any if he if we experience the slightest amount of turbulence it's like uh like a like a catastrophic event is happening to him so yeah yeah which sucks because it's like that's just normal training things um i digress uh you know his, yeah 705 went around very strong we've been uh started at 584 i think it was around his one around when we started uh it's maybe been working together for one and a half maybe 
Yeah, it's like I think one and a half years now. Um, and prior his training, uh, prior to working together, his training was too X-dimensional. Uh, well, he'd done sumo uh, and then wanted to try dimensional and then tried two X-dimensional and that was just destroying him. Um, and his sumo and conventional were very close. So initially, on my training for both Joe Butterfield and Michael, uh, who's the other athlete who pulled conventional, but I have uh, sumo on a secondary day, it was just to decide which is stronger. I, the, the only reason I was giving them both stances was just to see, okay, which one of these performs better. And um, it ended up that their conventionals out, were outpacing their sumos. Um, but they were able to get very productive work on their sumo deadlift. And whenever we would try and do, uh, well, it wasn't even that whenever we would try and do a conventional, because I actually never gave them to X conventional again. Their just training went so well that I was like, all right, I'm not even going to take out sumo because what's the point? Because these guys are both, you know, see rapid conventional progress. Um, and I think that is the reason that is, is because they're both proficient sumo deadlifters. They're both able to get very productive work in. Um, very similar to what they would be able to get on uh, their uh, secondary day if they had done conventional. Um, perhaps even they're able to be more productive, um, do higher loads um, than they would if they do conventional just because they are fatigued on that day. Um, and they're able to like be more productive uh, by doing sumo. And therefore, they're basically getting more, like their, their stimulus to fatigue ratio from doing sumo is a lot higher than if they were to do conventional on their secondary day. And that's basically just led to better training outcomes, which is pretty, pretty awesome to see because I, that is, you know, very seldomly done uh, yeah, with, I think with a really primary conventional stance, you know, polar. It's really interesting because I like the point you made about like how you choose like variations that can like increase like the overall like output that you could just have across a training week without like as much fatigue is that's really the thing. That's one of the, I think that's one of the benefits of variation. Like and I found that some people just do like more training volume in general. It's just more variation as a result of, of just having that better stimulus to fatigue ratio and, and output. Um, it's interesting because like I personally think I'm the opposite. Like I think that my hips could actually like really beat up with sumo and actually affects my yeah. squat quite a bit. Um, like I've had like, you know, crazy adductor soreness and like I just need to respond better like two times a week of like conventional like dead deadlifting. But I think it's just, it's really important too to like, Mike Deshier talks about like, you don't want to always like run like, what, like what's the best for you like all the time because then that kind of becomes stale and it's not going to like work the absolute best like all the time um and so you have to do things that are less optimized like further out from a meet just like experiment and you know maybe make that i do think there is something to be saying like to being more sensitive to a stimulus the less that you do it which is why i think that like for example like i do a lot one thing with my ventures where like i will maybe have them like a slightly less frequency. Like maybe I know they respond really well to four times, times a week. That's like kind of like short lived. And then but I'll keep them at like three times a week. Or maybe they really respond well to like three times a week and get a really big boost out of that. Then I might just do like two times a week and go to like three times a week to like get like more of that, a boost from it. It's like, that's what I have found like with Eric personally is like, we literally go back and forth between three times a week and four times a week benching for that purpose. Because I seem to get more beat up from four times, four times a week. You know, I make better progress it's only tolerable for a block. And then I see like a big I dip see. and I just get, and I get, and I get, literally get worse. Like back in January, we switched to four times a week of bench and I hit 380, but I kept doing that and kept doing that. And I got worse. Like I was like, my math was like 350, 52. <laughs> and then like, I went back to like three times a week. I was starting to make some sole progress. And I got up to 358 with that over two months. And I went to four times a week this past block. I had another five pounds. 
and I was on that back for three times because like you kind of realize that's like my, my formula. But you only know nice. that is if you work together and tried it. I've I've actually never experienced an athlete who has needed something like that, but I guess that's kind of analogous to like someone who like would typically need like flip flop between volume and strength periods where if they stick like they respond very well to like a certain uh you know rep uh range you know which is considered like a strength block but they can't do it like successively they can't do it back to back they have to have like you know go through a period of volume go through a period of strength more um, like a block periodized approach yeah more of a block periodized yeah. approach but um which is you know kind of starting to like fade out with modern programming but there, there, there still is like a, a block structure in terms of like the, the, the linearity of like a program, but like it's definitely like way less, you know, especially like all the singles year round or something like that. Um, yeah. I wanted to actually ask you this as a very last, last topic because uh, we're running out of time. Uh, how often do you program in straight sets versus like, you know, top set down set approach, like ascending sets and like, like how do you sort of modulate? I think that's a, I think that's the most common way in powerlifting program we can modulate intensity is through that set structure. It, it really depends on, you know, the, it's the, the typical coach response. It depends. <laughs> yeah, but uh, honestly, I just uh, go with whatever I feel is appropriate for the person. Sometimes, you know, there's a bit of a creativity aspect there because there's like so many different things, uh, so many different like tools you can use um and it really just comes down to whatever is uh, most appropriate for the athlete i believe uh, you know you can kick into many considerations there their technique their their psyche their um you know whether you know they're someone who needs higher intensity exposures or if there's someone who can um you know tolerate uh or someone who can you know tolerate straight sets or someone who can maintain their strength very well through sets or someone who uh, you know, hits one set and then, you know, sees a rap rapid, uh, you know, um, trough in, you know, their, their ability to press strength or they just see like a massive, uh, trough in their ability or, uh, in their fatigue, you know, through a session. So, uh, that's, that's kind of like factors that I would consider, um, when, you know, um, considering the, the style of sets that I'm going to be giving them of on their days. Yeah, like basically, like, that makes a lot of sense. Basically, how do they they fatigue? And you know, if they, uh, I do, I, I am a big fan of the fatigue drops for my lecture, especially on my sets like in the early days. Um, and so I'll be like, okay, like do as many sets as you can until like you feel like you're going to go above like one RPE above like the prescription. And well, then you drop. I do that a lot on bench, actually. Yeah. Um, I like that on bench because you know I find that you know you know people need um just you know generally More higher intensity. intensity. Yeah. Yeah, on bench press, so. Um, that's a good way to like, what I like doing is like, if let's say someone has like a five by four, let's just say that's what they have on that day. Uh, you know, I might program, you know, let's say it's like week, like the middle of the block, right? Uh, um, what I might prescribe in the notes is that uh, start at an RP7, go until you feel like, until you hit an RP8 or you feel like the next set is going to be either RP8 or overshot and then um, drop 5% for the remaining you know, maybe they make it through three sets at that, uh, you know, at that cap that's uh, noted, and then they drop, you know, 5%, maybe for their last two sets. Yeah, and I, I, I like that too. Because like... That ends up typically being around like a similar RP, maybe slightly less than uh, their first three sets. 
I like that too. This is sort of like, you know, it, it, you know, it's maybe like, once you like, if you're doing like higher intensity, like you can just sort of like change, like how many sets you're doing that are like really hard. Depending on like, you know, how you're feeling on that day too. I think it's much more like auto-regulatory. And I think that that's, yeah, regardless, exactly. like that's really that, like, like that's the key for powerlifting too, is like also being able to like auto-regulate based off of, that's what coaches like we're, we're trying to, to do. Um, it's a little bit delayed, gives, but. It gives the athlete direction, it, you know, instead of just, instead of just writing five by four RPA, then it actually gives them a set of instructions and guides them through like yes. the process, the process 100%. of keeping it at the intensity that you're intending them to hit. Because of that desired stress, because it's actually like, you know, I do some in-person training and like, I can look at my athletes in the gym and be like, okay, yeah, like take off some weight or like this next set is like, it's getting a little bit harder than I want. Whereas like in online coaching, like you do need to get those instructions for athletes. Like, this is what I want this session to feel like. This is what the, the goal of this is. Like, this is what this, this block is. And this is what I expect you to feel the strongest on. This is a day where like, I don't really care as much. Like you might be like an Aiden Raider for your like 30% weaker on your secondary day yeah. for your, for your, for your deadlift. And that, and that's fine. You just have to uh, telling your athlete, like expectations around the blocks and the different training days is just, I think that's really important. So you just understand like what your thought process was. Yeah, yeah, it, it is to describe that. Uh, I get a lot of athletes who, you know, ask me to, um, and then typically I just do this by default now is just like, um, you know, uh, writing that like, uh, I have like a little bar, you know, just where I put like the days of the week, you know, right, writing next to the days of the week, like this is the primary squat and tertiary bench, you know, that, that's the day. And so that they actually know like what the intention of the session is. Sometimes, you know, it depends on the athlete's, you know, mentality, but sometimes I don't like writing that because, you know, then they end up like overshooting their, their, the fuck out of their, uh, their squats and then like really, you know, just, you know, half-assing their bench because it's a tertiary day. So it depends yeah. on the person, depends on what kind of, um, you know, about how well I know the athlete, um, and, and what I've seen from them. So, um, really depends on the person. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think the main thing is just like, you know, like detach yourself from like the weight on the bar and just hit the RPE because really that's like the way that we're sort of diagnosed you know, doing training stress. And, you know, that's the only way we really can make changes if you actually follow in the program by hitting the RPE, getting all the volume in, and then, then you know, communicating back back with the coach. And then if you have a good coach who's paying attention, then you'll be able to move closer to a better training approach that will allow you to still make um, progress and um, you'll feel a little more supported through the ups and downs of training. That's just how power load lifting is. And you got to, learn how to be a little more even keel with that and um just have a have that really good support system around you because you really just can't get that far in this sport without help yeah you you do need you know a coach who's gonna stay on you pretty much exactly um, and, and about like even the smallest of details or it's you're, you're just not gonna catch it yourself mm, agreed well, Aiden, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate your your time. Uh, if people want to follow you or hire you for coaching, I'm working ahead. So uh, my Instagram is just simply my name, at Aiden Raider. Um, and then uh, for applying for coaching, um, just go to teamnori.com and go to coaches and you can apply there. Uh, and that's that's really it. That's all the social media I have. Cool. Well, I'll make sure I just include those things in the show notes below. Make sure that you guys follow Aiden. Um, I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Adios.